On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Question for you. If I asked you to think of the Louvre in Paris and to think of an artwork inside the Louvre, what are you thinking of? Uh, there's a fair chance that the one that you think of is the Mona Lisa. It is probably the most renowned artwork in the world. Except what you mightn't realise is that it hasn't always been that way and that part of the fame of the Mona Lisa uh, derives from the fact that on this day in 1911, uh, she was stolen. Somebody went into the Louvre and discovered that Mona Lisa wasn't in fact where she was supposed to be. And indeed, it would be two years uh, before Mona Lisa was recovered uh, and the work was once again on public display. Uh, That was one of the many art heists of the 20th century, uh, something to which we're actually no strangers here in Ireland, although the motivations of those behind art heists in Ireland were often very different to those who raided the Louvre uh, in 1911. Uh, Vincenzo Perugia, the man responsible for that raid on the Louvre, uh, not the only art thief of the 20th century, but he probably became the most infamous. Uh, The Irish, though, would prove to be the more effective art heist uh, thieves of the early 20th century. And Donald Fallon is here, having uh, scrubbed off his fingerprints, said no one will know where he was, uh, to tell us all about it. Uh, Donald, uh, there's no doubt that many, many people uh, tuning into this morning will have been to the Louvre and will have filed up to take the world's most awkward selfie yeah. in front of her. And look, at the very, very outset, there's still a century on dispute over what date the painting was stolen on. Was it the 20th or the 21st of August? Okay. Regardless, he, he definitely snuck in on the 20th. So right. the, okay. the conspiracy began. The, okay. the conspiracy began on this day in 1911. Uh, a plan very much in motion which would shock the the art world Mm. and yeah look you're right look many listeners this morning have done the pilgrimage to what is undoubtedly the the world's most famous art gallery Yeah, Uh, it's an amazing place isn't it I mean the place itself is is a work of art you you could spend a day and and still only see half of it oh yeah I mean when I was there obviously I went to the Mona Lisa but what I really wanted to see was uh, Liberty Leading the People you know that masterpiece from from 1830 yeah Yeah. the woman on the uh, she embodies the spirit of freedom and liberty leading the people over the barricades carrying the French tricolour the raft of the Medusas there as well. I mean, every corner brings another masterpiece. And I mean, I don't have any great knowledge of art history, but as you go corner to corner, you recognise what you're looking at, which is just extraordinary. Even if you're not familiar with Liberty Leading the People, if you are familiar with the album artwork of Coldplay's Viva La Vida, yeah, yeah. It's that. Yeah, uh, and not, Robert not to Balla. You try, try to make them down market the idea, but there you go. Robert Balla did a great version of Liberty Leading the People carrying the Starry Plough, which is just fantastic. Uh-huh. So it's been, yeah, it's a, it's a work that's been riffed on, as indeed has the, the Mona mm. Lisa. Uh, by comparison to those paintings, though, because I, I've been as well and I've seen Liberty Leading the People and I've seen the, the Raft of the Medusa, and when you go in, um, they dominate the space that they're in. Like, they're not the only pieces of work in those areas, but yeah, you yeah. go in and you're like, oh, there it is over there. The Mona Lisa, not so much. The Mona Lisa is just 30 inches by 21 inches in dimensions, which is mad mm. when you imagine that. Now, that's excluding framing, of course. And it's, it's, the, the, the framing of an artwork is, is, is really important to the scale of it and our idea yeah. of the sense of scale of the work. But yeah, it hardly dominates a room, does it? And it's, kind of com- it's a kind of comic picture that many people take when they go to Paris. You have a room with hundreds and hundreds of people yeah. <laughs> looking at this tiny yeah. work of art proportionately I've got speaking, one actually my phone is outside the studio but I've actually got it I'm going to show it to you before we leave actually I've got, a fo- <laughs> I've got that photograph from a couple of years ago and it's not so much a picture of the Mona Lisa as a picture of like hundreds and hundreds of people all oh, trying brilliant. to take a picture of the Mona Lisa you've got to tweet that one out yeah. before <laughs> so people tune in but look it's an experience as, as much worth it for people watching as, 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 as anything else isn't it that's why you go down there to look at people and Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece of the Italian Renaissance it is the best known most visited most 
most discussed painting in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone could disagree with that. But when it goes missing in 1911, I mean, that is a massive story. And even at home, the, the Irish Independent tell their readers, if the painting is not recovered, one of the few really great things in human art will have been lost to the world. The disappearance, whether by theft or hoax or a maniac's prank, serves but to bring the ever-famous canvas once again to the prominent notice of the public. No other picture in the world has ever occasioned so much writing mm. as this. So the Indo here in Dublin uh, and many others around the world were in a kind of sense of panic that mm. this painting may not be found. Uh, the Indo, which had other things going on in 1911, uh, was still so exercised by the, the loss of the Mona Lisa. Um, I didn't know this name before he sent in the notes this morning. Vincenzo Perugia. Great name. Uh, the thief in this case. It sort of sounds like somebody who should be playing in the top line for Serie A. <laughs> yeah. um, the th- he, he was a thief in this case. He, he had a few things working in his favour on, yeah. on the night. Perugia was not necessarily a, a criminal genius. You know, a, a number of things went his way. He's an Italian petty criminal, moves to Paris in 1908, formerly <clears throat> works in the gallery as a kind of handyman. Amazing that they, okay. they would hire a petty criminal you know, in, in, yes. in this line of work. But that meant things like installing protective glass on paintings, moving works. This is all very serious work that you know, mm. now you'd want to be you know, very heavily qualified to be doing yeah. things like that in, in a gallery uh, of that calibre. But attitudes were different at the time. And that meant he knew the place, he knew its layout, but more importantly, having worked there, he knew its routines, mm. he knew when people come and go, yeah. and he knew its weaknesses. Yeah, he would have known where all the weak window frames were in the, in the roof or whatever. What, what yeah. time security go clock on and clock on. So yeah, the 20th of August 1911 is the date on which the robbery begins, but it's the following day, the following morning when it's followed out. And, you know, he hides overnight uh, together with accomplices, removes the painting, uh, literally under his smock, like just takes off his coat and puts it over it and walks mm. out the door. That's how small it is. If you haven't so, seen it, like, yeah. it, it's that compact. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it takes it to his apartment in Paris and it's hidden in a trunk with a, with a, a false bottom panel. You know, okay. so you open the trunk you can't see that it's yeah. even there uh, amazingly they, they flood the streets of Paris with leaflets 6,000 plus leaflets uh, showing the work you know, have you seen this like like a missing person poster mm. have you seen have this you painting seen this? yes it's and on the wall in the Louvre I've, I've been there and taken the selfie un- yeah. unintentionally yeah. those leaflets those wanted leaflets have become very very collectible in, the, <laughs> in their own right um, everyone had uh, heard of it uh, or read it but th- this being 1911 and people not being as well travelled um, there were a few newspapers that even got the picture wrong yeah, when, they were trying to, when they were trying to replicate what it was <laughs> so, that was stolen travel wasn't as widespread but you know illustrating books and newspapers was really difficult too so you often see the, the same pictures are used all the time in print media and yeah. in books in the early 20th century <clears throat> and it sounds mad now but when, when, when the Washington Post report on the theft uh, they tell their readers you know this painting is worth five million dollars and then they run a picture of the Mona Vanna which is a, a totally different work of art you know, <laughs> a new charcoal <laughs> yeah. uh, by Da Vinci that's it's sometimes said is made in, in preparation of painting the Mona Lisa okay. so yeah I mean we live in a world where we all know these you know, Mona Lisa taking a selfie yeah. uh, Mona Lisa wearing a, a face mask in the early days of Covid it's one of the most bootlegged works of art go on mm. to a, uh, Etsy or Redbubble and you can buy t-shirts of Mona Lisa as a punk rocker or whatever you want mm. but back then that instant familiarity wasn't quite there at least with the Washington Post. Um, understandably, then this prompts this massive, as as you've mentioned already, the you know the massive hunt around Paris where people are and beyond, where people are trying to get hold of this very famous artwork. Uh, the police therefore go knocking. Um, they go knocking at some fairly famous doors. Yeah, artwork w- was going missing, including from like the most prestigious gallery in the world. Artwork was on occasion going missing. Tended to be kind of small sculptural work, uh, and it was known that Pablo Picasso had a number of pieces that he shouldn't have had. So they oh they arrive at sorry, the door because because when people talk about like there being uh, you know. Pablo Picasso had work stolen. 
What, what, what they actually mean was Pablo Picasso. Picasso had, had stolen, stolen works. works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did and not they, know that. Pablo Picasso is, is a door that's knocked on, but it, he, yeah. he, it's not there. It's nothing to do with okay. him. Okay. I, I mean, Dear Mr. Picasso, have you stolen have you this stolen picture? Mona Lisa? When the web begins to untangle is when, when he attempts to sell the artwork. He tries to sell it to a, a dealer in Florence, okay. which is ludicrous. I mean, yeah. it's like the Irish crown jewels when they went missing. Yeah. I mean, you, you could never pass these things on. On, on any kind of market, even even the black market. Mm. So to quote the newspapers of the day, when the news reached Paris, where he'd once been sentenced for some petty offence, the police searched their records and found the markings of the man's thumb corresponded exactly with an impression made on the broken frame which he'd left behind him. Uh-huh. So, well, you know, you his own sloppy work undid him. But I love how now that he's caught... Uh, he kind of tells the police, "Oh, this was a uh, this was a nationalist act. You know, I, want, oh. I wanted to get this painting back to uh, back to Italy. He felt that's where it belongs. Oh, so okay. he told the police. So that. Mr. Perugia, who, who in another world would have been leading the line for a Serie A calcio team, yeah, yeah. says, "Hang on, I'm Italian. This painting is Italian. Yeah. It's got no business being here in Paris.' And some very poor history in his part. You know, he tells the police this was stolen by Napoleon. There was nothing to this, of course. But in Italy, some actually did hail him as a patriotic hero." And you know that joke that was doing the rounds recently? Everyone everyone that's supported from Britain should be allowed to take one thing home from the British Museum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, Inclu- like including the staff members. Yeah, there, there was that feeling uh, that this was some great patriotic act in Italy. But he did seven months in jail. Uh, and I mean, look, seven months for stealing the Mona Lisa was hardly the type of sentence that was going to deter other people oh. from, from trying such stunts, was it? Uh, we mentioned in the introduction that Ireland is no uh, stranger to, to art heist and the likes. There's a fairly famous example uh, which was, uh, in, in its own way, much more explicitly so, yeah. very directly politically motivated. It's always nice to find the Irish dimension in these tales. Uh, April 1956, two Irish students remove a painting uh, from the Tate Gallery in London. It's one of the 39 contested U Lane paintings. Yeah. And there was a lot of debate around U uh, Lane and his intentions for his collection. You know, he changed his will a few times, but the, the argument was that he'd insisted that these paintings belonged in Dublin, they'd ended up in Britain. So these young Irish patriots kind of take it on themselves to do something. They're art students. Mm. Uh, and one of them later recalled, I was to run out the front door with it where a photographer was waiting to take a picture. I thought I'd probably then be overpowered. We hope we get a modest amount of publicity and force the authorities to do something. We thought we might spend a few days in jail, but that it would be worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, it'd be worthy if I jail, yeah, for the national culture, why not? Um, ultimately, unlike our Italian subject today, they, they weren't looking for a profit. They, that, theirs was entirely uh, political. Yeah. So much so that then when it came to returning the artwork, they were just like, yeah, here you go. When you've got one of the 39 contested U-lanes sitting in a, a flat in, in London, you have to ask yourself, what do we do? Well, you can't and resell it, obviously. Yeah, they yeah. hand it over to the Irish Embassy and as, as one of them recalled, we didn't want to keep it. The whole point of the robbery was <coughs> to get people talking about the situation. And you know what? Sometimes it works because an agreement was actually reached just a few years later that ensured that the U-lane paintings are now shared between London and yeah. Dublin. So yeah, maybe mm. it worked with the U-lane gallery, of course, in Dublin too. So yeah, it sounds considerably more patriotic, doesn't it? Uh, than mm. you know, bringing it back to the Irish Embassy and saying our point is been made uh, than trying to flog yeah, the Mona and, Lisa and, actually, and, and leave it up to the government to decide whether they're going to hang on to the works and then bring <laughs> yeah. them back um, tried to sell it to a dealer in Florence well yeah um, the Mona Lisa does continue to pack them in now um, we have to try and, and, and do some little outreach here to people who haven't been to the Louvre to see it and people who haven't might have in their mind's eye the image of Beyonce and Jay-Z taking a selfie in front of it and it's all very calm and there isn't someone else with a selfie stick creeping into the corner of the frame. And they might be wondering actually, well actually, is it really that busy or is it worth going in to see? 
10 million people go to the gallery every year. 10 million people, which is just wow. extraordinary. The majority of whom are foreign visitors, nearly all of whom will want to see this one painting. Uh, and a New York Times journalist wrote recently, I think tongue firmly in cheek, uh, I went there with the crowds recently. Now you must line up in a hideous TSA-style snake of retractable barriers that ends about 12 feet from the Leonardo, which for a painting that's just two and a half feet tall mm-hmm. is too far for looking and way too far for a good selfie. And the art's entirely subjective, of course. You know, what... You walk into a gallery which you love, someone else doesn't. Mm. But yeah, I mean, this painting makes lists for being an anticlimactic experience and all of that. You know, one of the great disappointments of tourism. It is a beautiful achievement when you look at it. Yeah. You look at it online, digitally, you blow it right up and you see it. Mm. It's powerful, it's vulnerable. You just don't have the time to appreciate that when you're there. No, that's it. <laughs> it's that, that you're there and you sort of feel like there's so many other people around that you actually can't take in yeah. how great it is. And yeah. as, you know, Banksy called this documentary Exit Through the Gift Store. There's a bit of that too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can have the Mona Lisa on, on whatever you want uh, in the gift shop before you leave. Yeah. Uh, of course, you could just walk up to Liberty Leading the People and basically get to see it from effectively like 18 <laughs> inches away because, yeah, there's other people around, but like there's no mad crowds of people who are trying to get in. It's very very much visible there. And the Louvre is, if you find yourself in that part of the world, uh, well worth a visit. Uh, Donald Fallon is the author of Three Castles Burning, A History of Dublin and Twelve Streets, uh, which was the Eaton's Book of the Year 2022, still available in all good bookshops. His next work, which we'll talk more about again, I'm sure, in a couple of weeks, uh, is on the way as well. He's also the presenter of Three Castles Burning, the podcast about the history of Dublin, uh, which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Transformation always disrupts, but it doesn't always need to be disruptive. On News Talk.